Welcome to the Food Professor Podcast, Episode 20. I'm Michael LeBlanc. And I'm Sylvain Charlebois. The Food Professor is presented by Omnovos, the digital customer engagement solution for grocery and restaurant marketers helping you to solve your customers' most daunting question, what should I eat today? Find out how you can get personal growth sales with Omnovos at www.realcustomerengagement.com. Well, so another action-packed episode uh, we've already put together. We've got a very special guest, Todd Barkley, president of Restaurants Canada, veteran food service uh, industry executive, took over the reins in probably one of the most challenging times uh, ever to take over the reins of a restaurant uh, bar association. Before we get to Todd, it's a great interview, but before we get to Todd, I got to ask, maybe we're going to spend the whole episode on it, Buttergate. <laughs> it all started with a simple question. On on Twitter, is your butter harder than it used to be? And and lo and behold, I went and I'm like, I thought it was in the wrong part of the closet, that it was too cold. All right, let's. How did you discover it? What are we talking about? Is, let's let's unpack this. Let's. Uh, are you saying turn. your butter is also harder as well? We convinced of it. I even it's it's less spreadable, and maybe now it's my imagination. But I can tell you, pre before you asked me this question, this is why I think it's resonated so much with people. It's like, yeah. It doesn't spread the way it used to. I thought yeah, I different brands or what I'm buying, but let's churn up the waters here a little bit or churn up the dairy because I think you've uh, you've churned up the industry a little bit. Talk about oh, going absolutely. on with water. Talk I about- mean, uh, uh, Dalhousie, I mean, I've received uh, not so flattering emails from different folks from the dairy sector i can tell you that the university has received complaints that's what they do the lobby does that all the time to intimidate people academics that are trying to get to the bottom of of some issues i mean the reality is that butter is now harder at room temperature uh what we don't know is is the reason why uh we can only uh, set up hypothesis and, and one plausible cause uh, because I've been speaking to a lot of different folks in the dairy industry, people I trust uh, from farm gate to plate for months. Uh, I just, I thought it was a joke at the beginning. I thought uh, I didn't really believe the, uh, the reports about harder butter, but I've experienced it myself and thousands of people have actually experienced the same thing. And, and uh, only to realize that th- there is a possibility that palm oil is behind all this. Uh, palm oil. Act- palm oil. You can actually feed. It is legal to feed your cows, dairy cows, palm oil to increase fat content, butter fat. And the context created by COVID really makes this situation possible because last year demand for butter for example went up 13 percent. everyone was home cooking and uh so the pressure but that's different than a lot of other commodities you and i talked about other commodities like uh, you know bacon and eggs and and some that actually dipped because just people weren't you know it wasn't part of food service so they weren't going out and getting their tim horton's breakfast sandwich but but did butter actually went up that's so interesting yeah it went up and uh, of course we have a quota system and uh, and obviously uh, the industry was struggling to get butter fat. Uh, it can always import butter fat, but of course, farmers if they don't match their quota, uh, they're in big trouble. And so the the one easy way to do it is to actually give palm oil. And again, it it is legal. Now the uh, 
dairy chapter in Quebec uh, is, uh, is, is stating that 22 to 25% of, of their dairy farms are actually using palm oil. And uh, it, it's, not, it's not being well received by Canadians, which is why I think it's upsetting dairy farmers because it was really a well-kept secret in the industry. I, I think a lot of people wanted to just wanted to move on and, and they didn't want the news to come out or they didn't want to actually show that they're using palm oil because the, the baggage from an environmental perspective is there. Absolutely. From a, from a health perspective, it's, it's unclear whether or not it can impact uh, the health of consumers. We just don't know. Well, I mean, there's a lot of things you start thinking about, you know, the wholesome dairy industry, you know, where we're made in Canada support. And then, you know, I don't think we grow palm oil here in Canada. So it must be imported from outside of Canada. So, I mean, that's one kind of knock on the brand of, of dairy, I suppose. Right. So so what you're saying is uh, it's an ingredient. There's no clear plus or minus connection around whether it makes it less or more healthy. Uh, well, there there is a there are a few studies suggesting that if you actually do give more palm oil to cows, it will eventually change the characteristics of of cheese and 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 butter. It is documented uh, now. Whether or not it is the actual cause, we we don't know. We would have to actually conduct a lot of research, which would cost uh, a substantial amount of money. Uh, dairy actually does support research quite a bit, but not on that at all. <laughs> but I, I can I can tell you this morning uh, out of Quebec, uh, there is a group of farmers uh, who uh, do intend to uh, present a motion to financially penalize uh, farmers if they do use palm oil. So the use, the practice itself is creating some discomfort in the industry itself. So on the one side, you have boards telling Canadians, there's nothing wrong, everything's normal, just, uh, and, and, and butter's hard because it's colder outside kind of thing. On the other hand, you have farmers, well, panicking. They're just wondering, well, what's, what's, if, it's, uh, if, if, it's this, if this is an issue. And so that's, that's what's going on right now. So many questions. Uh, talk about uh, let's step back a bit and talk about the overall quality of Canadian butter. Now, I seem to remember a survey. Maybe that's maybe that's an exaggeration calling it a survey. As you ranked butter from the world, how does Canada rank in general in terms of the quality of butter? I, you know, what are, that's probably a couple of different metrics, but mm. sense of, I remember seeing Canada's butter wasn't ranked very highly. It wasn't the top of the list. Any any sense of of overall how the butter industry is ranked? That's a good question. Uh, I would say I'm not sure how it ranks across the world, mm -hmm. but I would say that typically Canadians would see dairy products as being of high quality in Canada overall. Sure, I mean sure. they they do. I certainly appreciate uh, dairy products uh, in Canada. They're they're of uh, they're they're good quality products, uh, and that's why this news coming out is uh, is is sort of counterintuitive, I guess. It's a bit of a jolt, right? It's a, it's a wait, wait. There's an ingredient in there you weren't telling me about, or it's an eye opening uh, fact for a lot mm -hmm. of Canadians. They just didn't know. I, I would argue that probably most Canadians just didn't know, and. So they may not understand supply management and the economics of the sector. 
but they get palm oil. They understand what it yeah. is, and oh, yeah. they understand how it could impact you know different parts of the world and how it could actually impact animal and human health as well. I mean, it's not as if they're pouring the palm oil in with the butter. I mean, they're giving it to the cows. So I guess it's also the case that there's a lot of foods I don't know what goes into them. You know, that probably well, there's, is there's very- actually palm oil in in hundreds of products you and I right. eat every, every day. Almost. Right. The, the thing about this uh, case, uh, which makes it unusual, is that it is a supply management. It is a supply management issue. I mean, because. Farmers actually follow specific protocols, and they have this blue cow campaign uh, showing Canadians that this product is is of high quality. It's good, and uh, and basically right now it's 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 seen as a bit of a breach in in this moral contract we have with the industry because unlike Nutella and other products, we are partially subsidizing dairy. The dairy industry right now, it is highly protected. There is a quota system in place. And milk is essentially a, a public good. Uh, right. We've talked about right. this before in yeah. Canada. Yeah. And so that's why when it comes to unlike chips or anything else, milk is a bit different and it should be considered differently. Well, let's talk about any reaction you've seen from the from the political side. You've mentioned on the podcast before you have a, a, a ton of respect for the uh, for the Quebec Agriculture Minister, thinking yes, uh, he was one of the top uh, the top uh, of his class, so to speak, in Canada. Any any reaction from the political side uh, to this news? Uh, yes, absolutely. So, for one, the ag minister in Quebec had no idea that uh, dairy farmers were using palm oil. <laughs> <laughs> Never asked the question, I guess. Hey, by well, the way, I mean, you fellas using palm oil? Like, probably is not a question he'd think to ask, I guess. And uh, he openly supports the sector. But, of course, when he learned about it, he felt, hmm, this, this, this could be a PR problem. And, and it is. And so that's why, I mean, I have a lot of faith in dairy farmers. They know, they know how to do the right thing. Uh, it's just boards, they tend to politicize everything. And they actually spend more time with ministers and politicians than, than farmers themselves. So I, I do hope that, that, uh, that, that, that the right path will prevail. Uh, I actually do believe that we shouldn't be giving uh, palmatic acids to, to dairy, dairy cows uh, in, in Canada because of supply management, uh, essentially, and, and because I think Canadians expect high-quality products. And the other reason why we believe Palm oil is likely the cause. If you actually buy organic butter or butter coming from a grass-fed cow, you wouldn't have that problem. The butter has remained the same, which is so all off-quota butter hasn't been affected by this. Well, I tell you, you're you're surfacing of good uh, a good argument for this household. I'm the let's buy the best butter we can buy, which tends to be much more expensive. My wife is butter's butter. So, uh, you know, good outcome for this podcast. Uh, That's right. uh, Our household is 50-50. We're margarine and butter. But I'll be honest with you, until uh, until we see uh, change uh, in in the sector, we're probably either going to buy organic butter or no butter at all. Oh, interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, listen, I, I'm sure we're going to come back to this issue. It's kind of a late, it's a breaking news issue. So I'm, uh, it's great that we're talking about it. I wanted to talk a bit about our next guest. So from the ingredients to the table. So we're going to be talking 
to Restaurants Canada, Todd Barkley. And really for you and I, uh, Sylvain, we have a very close, uh, let's call it relationship with restaurants, you more so in some ways than I, but it's a big part of our lives that that I'm missing. And, and uh, we talked to Todd about that and, and some of the advocacy stuff that we've talked about uh, and their approaches. So let's have a listen. Todd, welcome to the Food Professor podcast. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks so much for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, it's great to have you. I have to tell you, this podcast is a result of your Restaurants Canada show. Sylvan and I, a year ago, uh, a year ago, almost to the day, we're sitting in the green room and I was interviewing Sylvan and, I, and then we started talking. Yep. I said, hey, maybe, we, maybe we should start a podcast together. And, That's uh, right. Lo and behold, <laughs> right? And this is episode number 20. So there you go. Wow. That's right. So every two weeks. So uh, thank you. Thank you to your organization. And, and uh, you know, you're, you're an important organization in our, in our professional lives for, for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, listen, let's jump right in. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You came from industry. You came to Restaurants Canada, probably in, uh, in one of the most challenging times of the industry. So, uh, you know, no ordinary ride joining an association. But give us a bit of your background, professional journey, and what you do at Restaurants Canada. Yes, for sure. And, and absolutely, you're right. I mean, certainly, you know, probably the most challenging time for this industry, certainly in our lives. And, uh, you know, hopefully, uh, the challenges that we're facing today won't be challenges that we'll have to face uh, anytime in the future. Uh, to your point, yes, I've been in the industry actually for quite a while, you know, started like so many people as a student working in the industry, making some money to help to pay for school. And you know, post my formal education, I actually spent quite a bit of time in the technology industry. But uh, following the uh, finishing an MBA, I got to know a, a gentleman who's been in the industry, you know, his entire life, a gentleman by the name of Frank Hennessy, who convinced me to meet with the CEO of Care at the time. And uh, I joined that organization and was able to you know, gain some great insight into supply chain because I managed supply chain. I also was involved in restaurant development. So I mm-hmm. built over 200 restaurants across the country over a period of time. And then eventually they let me run their largest brand, Swish LA. So I've, I've got you know pretty good holistic understanding in terms of the industry. Uh, I also owned a small cafe uh, here in the local town where where I live, and and I've also worked for a vendor within the the food industry. So as you think about Restaurants Canada and the fact that we have quite a diverse membership from you know smaller operators, independents to the to the largest restaurant companies, as well as a significant membership from a vendor perspective, I believe I bring a pretty unique background to this role because I've, I've played all those roles so I can put myself in the shoes of all those individuals who are, who are part of, uh, part of our association. And in terms of my, you know, day-to-day activities, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty lucky guy. In fact, uh, when the board approached me for this opportunity, I, I jumped at the chance. It's such a great industry full of amazing people, very dynamic industry. And we've got a great team at Restaurants Canada. So I'm the president and CEO, so I'm, I'm responsible for the day-to-day operations. But uh, truly, I just get the chance to work with a great team and a great industry every day. So it's a wonderful job to be in. I've really enjoyed it over the last five months. Oh, fantastic. It's great background. We had uh, one of your board members and I think fellow co-workers, Julie Denton, on, right. uh, on as a guest. Uh, we were talking I think about it HR was in and- September or October, I think. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. it was it was early on. I think it was fresh in, into your tenure. So let me ask you this question. So, with your background, and I too have been a, a senior executive in an advocacy group. So I moved from being you know twenty five years as a retailer into working for an advocacy group. So you know, there's two sides of being in an advocacy group. It's understanding the industry, how the industry works, but then it's representing the industry to all levels of government. I'm sure from your you know municipal, provincial, federal, all levels of government. Talk about that transition a bit, because because really I've seen in leadership of associations two types of leaders. 
ones who are steeped in knowledge of the industry, which clearly you are, and then others who have a, a, an understanding of the industry, but really are steeped in in the politics around uh, agency and 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 really advancing it. And where I'm going with that question is, I want to delve a little bit into how you approach advocacy and balance off all kinds of things. So speak to that. What's been your experience? And then let's delve into a bit of the advocacy side of Restaurants Canada. Well, it's your point for sure. I, my background is on the operating side and being part of, of the industry per se. So I, I bring that perspective. I, I will say that along the way, I've been involved with various different associations. I've helped Restaurants Canada in terms of advocacy for various different files, uh, both federally and, and provincially while I was in you know various different roles uh, with, with the within the industry. And I've also sat on uh, boards of uh, different associations along the way. So I, so I have some exposure to that, but certainly my background isn't uh, in uh, working within government relationship uh, relations and, and advocacy. So, you know, just like any, any leader, I mean, really it's about understanding your blind spots and making sure that you've got, you know, great, you know, people around you who can help you with uh, those key initiatives. Restaurants Canada has you know, 76 years plus of advocacy uh, in its, uh, and it's background. I mean, that's that's what we do. It's 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 how we focus. It's it's uh, you know really the reasons as to why this this association you know, began. So we we have many people who work with us who understand uh, how to get that work done and have spent years and years of their career uh, careers developing relationships uh, across the country at various different levels of, of government. I mean, for me though. You know, certainly, you know, advocacy is about understanding what it is that uh, ultimately you're advocating for, right? And so I think I bring a great perspective uh, based on my background. And the other thing with advocacy is, is also, you know, being able to uh, help people quickly understand uh, what it is that you're up against, what it is that you're looking to get help with. Uh, so my background in the industry, as, as well as background in marketing and sales, I think helps to, you know, develop the message so that it's very clear and concise and we can get to the issues very quickly. And, um, you know, so all of those things together, I think, have helped me uh, to, you know, bring a, a new, fresh perspective uh, to the role, but also really leverage the great uh, team and the great relationships that the team have, have built up over many years in all levels of government. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the files. So, you know, in my experience as an advocate, often you're explaining unintended consequences to government leaders. Now, you've got, you know, again, you've, you've joined at such a time. How are you balancing off? the need for health and the, and all industries are doing this trying to keep people safe keep uh keep the staff the employees all the wonderful people work safe uh keep canadians safe how do you separate bars and restaurants and how are you ingesting so to speak pun intended you know all the data and all the research and all the initiatives and then forming some kind of cohesive strategy to advocate for you know listen opening how do we open how do we operate safely how do we say that we're safer than gathering a bunch of people in your home? Like, how do you pull that together and, and talk about those files a little bit? Yeah, well, great question, because it certainly has been a challenge. And, you know, the first thing that I, I absolutely want to mention is, you know, what we're up against here in terms of pandemic, it's real, right? I mean, obviously, it's affecting many people's lives. And tragically, uh, many lives have been lost. Uh, I bring an interesting perspective as well. My formal education actually was in health and, and uh my wife actually is a family doctor who's a medical director at a long-term care home. So I, I also understand, wow. you know, the side <laughs> of the story associated to, you know, what's happening right. in terms of the effect of, of this, of this pandemic. For, for me though, as, as I've, I've, you know, reflected on, you know, where it is that we should focus and, and, and really 
uh, you know, spend a lot of my time, obviously, I mean, coming into this role, the pandemic has, you know, basically consumed us. You know, most of our focus right now is, is obviously on trying to help our, our members, you know, getting through such a terrible and, and, and challenging time. For me, though, as I look at our industry, we're, we're, we're one of the most regulated industries in the country, right? We, we, we know how to keep people safe. Uh, we do it every day. Uh, we serve food and in serving food to uh, millions of customers every day, there are, there is risk associated to that. And, and we, we have learned over many, many years as operating in this industry and ways, ways to keep people safe. And, you know, I would say that the industry, you know, very quickly adapted to the new rules and regulations and expectations of all levels of government in order to provide a safe environment in which for people to come and congregate, you know, whether it is with their own, you know, family or, you know, potentially other people within their, their bubbles or, you know, you know, even before we were talking about bubbles in the beginning of, 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 of the pandemic. And in, in fact, our industry spent hundreds of millions of dollars to keep people safe. You know, whether that was in, you know, forms of PPE and plexiglass and various forms of, of ways in which to, to keep people safe. And I believe and I know that we can do that. And, you know, so as I've reflected on this and, and have talked with, with, with government and, and uh, various other stakeholders in the, in the industry, we actually have an ability as an industry to help to get the economy going in a way to keep people safe. Uh, we, we can do it. We've proven that we can do it. And, and it's been interesting as we've gotten into various different discussions across the country. There are jurisdictions who, that have remained open. And uh, I look to those jurisdictions such as BC and actually uh, really... Um, you know, re reflect on and commend the politicians and the health officials there who uh, look to data to really guide their decisions around, you know, how it was that they're going to um, impose restrictions. And yes, there have been some restrictions in place in, in, in province such as BC, uh, but they've been able to figure out a way to get through this by staying open. And in fact, even the medical officer of health in that province suggested that restaurants are probably safer than people's homes to congregate in. Uh, there's reasons for that, <laughs> right? Because we yeah. have all you of probably, these. You probably do at this point. You could probably do surgery in most restaurants, right? I mean, well, investments <laughs> maybe they were safe before. They're safe before. They're they're pretty. They're very safe now, right? I wouldn't suggest that would be one of the ways we should pivot as an industry. We've had to pivot <laughs> in other ways, but I wouldn't suggest surgery should be one of them. Uh, right. But no, to your to your point, uh, we 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 are safe. We know we can be safe. We've proven ourselves to be to be safe. I mean, a lot of the things that we're talking about with the government today is to say, okay. As we get it, you've made the decision to close us. Okay, we've advocated for the reasons as to why we think we shouldn't, uh, and we've you know pushed to get as, as much support as we possibly can. But as we reopen as an economy, as we reopen, reopen the economy, we believe our industry can absolutely be part of the reopening in the first phases because, again, we, we have the ability to keep people safe. We've proven an ability to do that. And I really, again, commend politicians and, and, and other you know officials who are looking at real data to guide them because... There hasn't been anything specific to suggest that restaurants are a problem. And because of that, we've really struggled as an industry to understand the reasons as to why we've been, we've been pinpointed as a place in which there should be restrictions in place. Again, it's happened. I can't deal with the past. I can only deal with the future. And we're doing a lot of work right now with uh, provincial governments and the federal government to make sure that we are included in the initial reopening phases uh, so that we can get going and get back to work. And, and you know, the other interesting thing with this too, right? I mean, we'll remember the speech from the throne, uh, an interest in, in a million jobs and, and minorities and, and women, first Canadians. Right. Now, our industry employs so many people within those demographics. That's your industry. That's a description of your industry, basically. Yeah. Exactly. And there's still over 300,000 people yeah, out of work in our industry. Right. 
So if we can get if we can get the lights back on and get going, uh, we can very quickly help to get the economy going and uh, reemploy all these people who've been been forced out of work for, through no fault of their own. No, absolutely. It's been challenging for sure. Um, one thing I wanted to let you know, Todd, is that uh, my wife and I, we typically avoid restaurants um, on Valentine's Day. Like we, act, we avoid all restaurants, but we actually did go out this weekend to encourage our favorite restaurant tour. And so uh, it was crowded. Of course, in Halifax, the situation is a bit different than in Ontario and Quebec. Restaurants have been open for quite some time. And, uh, but we did it, and uh, I was happy. Uh, the night was, was great. The other thing I wanted to let you know is that uh, my wife and I were co-owners of a restaurant as well. Uh, we're investors. We don't operate the restaurant in Quebec and Saint-Sauveur. We, we co-own a, a small hotel of 42 rooms, and inside that hotel, there is a restaurant. Unfortunately, because of COVID, it's been closed uh, for quite some time now, since June, unfortunately. So I, I, I can certainly attest that uh, it's been a struggle for us as well to you know, generate revenues, keep people uh, on staff. And uh, so every time I hear uh, your group uh, speak out, well, we can relate for sure. <laughs> But the one thing I, that, 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 um, that stood up that came out of your latest comment is, is related to perceptions and, and how the legacy of COVID were a year in, People have heard uh, so many different messages from so many different people. You're an expert in managing fears or fear in general. Uh, what do you think fear will look like uh, coming out of, of the pandemic? Do you think that Canadians will fear restaurants, you think? Or, or will, that, will that linger for quite some time? What are your thoughts on that? Well, first off, congratulations on owning a hotel and, and a restaurant. And I look forward to visiting your uh, your location when all this craziness is over. And, and interesting too, right? I mean, you mentioned since June, right? People have also lost their perspective of that. I mean, we many, many places have been closed for months and months and months. Specific to your question around fear, I'm concerned about it. Uh, absolutely. We've talked with the federal government and various other provincial governments about the fact that for 11 months now, Health officials and politicians have access have had access to a microphone every day to tell people the reasons as to why they shouldn't be going out or what, where they should be staying away from, uh, effectively spending our taxpayer dollars telling people what not to do. What we've been speaking with um, these officials about and politicians is that I believe they should be spending the next 11 months helping to market our industry and other industries that they've been telling people to not you know, go out and enjoy uh, to help us get back on our feet. Because I do think, to your point, that there is some fear. Uh, there absolutely is a percentage of people who are concerned. Now, thankfully, based on our most recent uh, data collection, it would suggest that it's not everybody, but there is a percentage of people who are concerned about that. I, I envision that when the restrictions are, are finished, there will be, there is a group of people who are just raring to get out can't wait to get uh, back into restaurants and their you know typical you know way of, of, of doing you know of, of living their lives right to to the point uh, all three of us i'm sure are that are that way but there is there is a a section of the of the population who who definitely will will be you know much more tentative and and we need to do a job of you know making sure that they feel safe but i don't think it should just uh, we should just 
rely on uh, restaurant operators to do that. I think we should be relying on, on the officials who spent those 11 months that I just described talking about not going out. So I, I'm concerned about it. The other thing that I'm also concerned about is that there has been obviously a shift in terms of people's habits over the last many months. Uh, you know, people now are, are very used to having, you know, food brought to their homes in various, you know, different ways, whether that's through, you know, how they're buying their groceries or potentially how they're enjoying uh, experiences from restaurants outside of restaurants four walls. So one of the key things that I'm, that I'm also concerned about and I'm talking with operators about is the importance of being ready and making sure that that first time that everybody who's looking forward to those great opportunities and those great experiences to get back out with, out with their spouse or kids or family or bubbles or whatever term we, we need to be using today, that that first experience and that second experience is a wonderful one, one that they've been longing for and one that they're going to enjoy and, and, and look forward to coming back to. And that's going to be a little bit of a struggle for us as an industry because one of the things that, that, that definitely has happened is there's been, you know, a, an issue related to our employees, you know, you know, potentially either moving out of the industry altogether or maybe a little bit reluctant to also come back. And the other thing that uh, is of concern is that, you know, clearly one of the ways in which restaurants can manage their their costs, and many today from a balance sheet perspective, they've completely blown up in terms of what's happened over the last uh, 11 months, is that you can, you can manage your expenses by decreasing your wage costs, right? And that is not the right thing for us to be doing. We need to be, we need to be bringing people back. We need to be, you know, well-staffed and ready for people the moment they come in. So one of the other things that we're doing from an advocacy perspective, outside of just asking the government to help us to tell a great story about restaurants, is to also have them keep the current subsidies and support in place well beyond the end of the pandemic. We need to uh, be incenting restaurants and other small businesses to be bringing people back to work. And one of the main ways that you can do that is to keep things like the wage subsidy in place. Uh, so we currently are working with the federal government to ensure that that subsidy stays you know, well beyond the summer and hopefully into next year to ensure that restaurants have the means in which to bring people back and they're incented to bring people back into the, into the restaurants to work. Uh, absolutely. But when you look at the labor force, uh, generally numbers coming out of StatsCan were devastating. Uh, my goodness. I, I didn't expect that much of a dip because uh, for a while it was, you know, okay in the fall. I mean, it was, it was not great, but it wasn't disastrous, but generally it was really, uh, a, a really a bad month and uh, and probably this winter is not going to be great either so uh, your plan is 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 important to keep uh, the industry active to to make it attractive uh, to get people back to work in, in the field I want to talk to you about innovation and uh, you know, we've seen a lot of if there is one thing I can say about about uh, the sector is that it is quite resilient <laughs> it's amazingly resilient well we've seen all the pivoting going on and and uh, there's there was a lot of collaborative work with cities with districts uh, it's been amazing to watch well what's what is, what's the one thing that 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 stood out for you uh, that you think will will be uh, will stick around after after the pandemic uh, in terms of innovation and how the how the industry is structured right now? Yeah, actually, you asked for one thing, but I'll, I'll actually speak about two things. One one specific to you know what I think is going to happen from an industry perspective in terms of 
technology. And then the other piece that I hope that's going to stick around is, is what happened in terms of the development of these great boulevards and patio space and opportunities within, you know, smaller municipalities, even large urban areas. So from a technology perspective, you know, certainly uh, that's exploded with, within our industry. You know, you've heard various different CEOs across the industry talk about the fact that, you know, what, what occurred in, in 10 months, you know, potentially might not have occurred in 10 years in terms of embracing different forms of technology, whether that's related to, you know, um, delivery or whether it's related to, uh, to uh, you know, touchless payment and, and um, menus that are that are now well, even um, even, uh, even legislation, right, being allowed to deliver alcohol. I mean, these these yeah. things were, were not moving at all as policy issues. And now suddenly, hopefully we don't go back. But now suddenly, you know, your restaurant tours can actually uh, deliver a nice bottle of wine that More matches options. your great food. Right. I mean, that that's I, I, it's been that that content of those things, right? Absolutely. It's helped to push those things from legislative perspective. And I think that also relates back to what I was talking about in terms of, you know, the development of, of the patios and, and boulevards and, and places where, you know, that legislation, you know, didn't exist. We weren't, we weren't able to, to, you know, build out into streets and, and take up more space and, 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 and have that type of outdoor experience. So, you know, th- those are two things that I think, you know, I hope, and well, I expect from a technology perspective that th- those things will, will, will stay, whether it's, it's, yeah, QR code on, on your, your table for the menu so that folks aren't handing up mem- menus or, or how people are, are utilizing technology to take their brands outside of their four walls into new experiences. And then, yes, absolutely, from a legislative perspective. I, I think uh, for me, you know, it, and, and again, I'm in the industry, so obviously I'm biased, and, and, and I know that we're, we're safe, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back out to restaurants. But to be able to walk down my own, in my small community where I am today, where I happen to own this cafe, I don't own it anymore, but to see how they basically exploded out into the street and you know, created this incredible type of, of almost European-type experience uh, you know, within our, within our small community, you know, those are the things that I think, and I hope will continue to, to, to linger with, within our industry, because I think it just creates an entirely new experience and a new opportunity for our industry to, to realize an even, you know, greater opportunity to survive and thrive. And I think we all know as, as an industry, this, this is not one, uh, where there's, you know, significant margins, right? I mean, we, we're, we're typically dealing with, you know, single digit margins. So, uh, you know, the pandemic uh, has created significant issues for us, but, you know, some of these ways in which we're able to, you know, promote our brands and develop, uh, the, the ways in which we, we create new experiences for our guests, I expect will linger. And I also hope and expect that those will provide greater opportunities for, for restaurants to, to, to realize, a, a, you know, a, a greater opportunity economically to, um, to exist and, and, you know, survive and thrive. And, and, and to your point too, the, the, it is, we are very resilient, right? I mean, it's an industry that's been around forever and, you know, people find ways in which to, everybody's using the term pivot. Uh, and there's so many interesting ways in which you know, restaurants have, mm-hmm. have been able to find ways to survive. And, you brought up alcohol. I mean, you know, that's a significant opportunity for us. It, it, uh, it, it doesn't ensure that you're going to survive. It's just, it, it, it helps and it will be, you know, an add on once we get outside of this pandemic and whether that's related to the ability to, to deliver, uh, as you suggest, or even the legislation around wholesale, you know, pricing of alcohol for, for restaurants in various different provinces. You know, finally, we're starting to have real good, robust discussion, and people are moving towards changing some of those uh, antiquated uh, laws and legislation that's existed for a long, long time. I would say, I mean, when you look at the sector trying to survive, uh, along the way, of course, you've had 
vendors and suppliers uh, really uh, supporting the industry. I when when you think about companies like Cisco and Gordon Foods, they they've, they've stepped up. Uh, at least that's what I'm hearing. And uh, and based on discussions I've had with some restaurateurs, they've been quite helpful. Would you, would you agree with that? I would absolutely agree. I, I mean, I can't speak for every specific vendor and every relationship, but I mean, you just mentioned, you know, two, you know, incredible distributors that uh, uh, are, are great partners, uh, not vendors, but great partners to so many restaurants across the country. And yeah, to your point, they really stepped up. I mean, I mean, this is the industry that they, they exist in. So, I mean, obviously there's, there's, exactly. uh, there's, there's reasons as to why they want to do that. Um, but yeah. um, they want your it, members it, to be successful. Uh, they want somebody to sell to at the end of all this. <laughs> yeah, they want. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and, and I've been involved in, you know, similar discussions with, with industry, industry folks. And I've, you know, I, I've mentioned, I, you know, people, people will remember who helped them. Right. I, 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 you know, we, we live in a world where relationships are still very important. Lots and of family companies as well. Family owned companies. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So the people who, you know, stepped towards folks and tried to help them through this, you know, unbelievably trying time and, you know, a catastrophe really in, in, in our industry, I believe will be remembered and, and will, you know, maybe in the short term, they, they had to, you know, realize, uh, you know, some hardship themselves to support. But over the long term, I think that they will be the ones that that restaurant companies will really look to to uh, develop, you know, great long term relationships with. All right. Well, listen, um, it's been a great discussion. I want to ask you one uh, one last question. Talk about the uh, Restaurants Canada show. I said off the top, Sylvan and I uh, met there last in person. Sylvan, you and I haven't seen we've seen each other virtually, but the last time. Uh, Sorry, the last time in person was at the show. So was, tell us, yeah, uh, give absolutely. us some highlights of the show. It's a different, it's virtual. Um, you know, it was a show based on experience, but I, I was on a, a media preview for the show and lots of enter- entertainment and investment and in trying to bring that that experience to life. So give me a couple of highlights. What what can folks look forward to uh, for the well, RC? Show? Other than me speaking. Yes, yeah, exactly. Well, I was, that was the first <laughs> on my list. I was going to say that right off the top. You took my speaking well, first, first and foremost, we <laughs> <Yes>. have. <laughs> right. Okay, you're, after, you're, after that, is there any reason to stick around? Give me a few reasons to stick around the show after Sylvan. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to your point, it is going to be different this year. It, it, it'll be virtual. Unfortunately, we can't bring everybody together. And our industry is about bringing people together. But I, I'm, I'm excited about it because it's an opportunity for us to come together in industry in a very trying time. And, and our theme for this year is feeding the recovery, which is, you know, perfect theme as we, you know, all work through the challenges that we've been, been dealing with over the last uh, 11 months. And, and as much as it's going to be different, all of the attendees can expect, you know, some of the, the amazing things that you typically get from, from the RC show. We have uh, world-class content. We have over a hundred, you know, panelists uh, coming to speak uh, at the show. We've got, you know, great ways in which for uh, vendor partners to interact with, with, with operators. We've created a, a whole, you know, virtual um, means in which for, for people to, to, to get together and, and uh, uh, allow for vendors to, to share their thoughts in terms of, you know, their products and, and, and services. So all of the great world-class content that you're, you're, you're typically used to will be there. It just will happen virtually. And as we were talking about earlier as well, the great thing about doing this virtually is it means that we can include so many more people. Uh, we've got more international involvement. We've got, you know, folks from coast to coast to coast you know, coming for the first time. So it's, uh, it's an exciting show. It's four action packed days of, of great content and information. It's, it's, it's really a show that if you're in the industry, you, sh- you, you shouldn't miss, uh, and look forward to seeing you folks there. And, uh, also, you know, all of your listeners, uh, joining in, we're looking forward to the show. 
And if we want to uh, register for the show or learn more, restaurantscanada.ca, is that the best place to start that journey? rcshow.com is the uh, is best, best place to, to start that, that journey. And uh, yeah, so all of the information's there. And, and right now, tickets are half price uh, before the 28th. So get them while they're, while they're hot before they're gone. <laughs> all right. Uh, well, listen, that's great. Yeah, so a year a year ago, uh, I mean, we were all roaming around uh, the RC show, uh, not thinking that it was likely the last major show before COVID. So uh, it's uh, it reminds the fact that the RC show is just around the corner reminds us that we've been in this for a year now. Yikes! It's it's true. We were very lucky last year. We got it in, you know, just a couple of weeks before you know the world shut down. Well, so. people were talking about the virus already. I remember uh, we spoke about it on the panel I was on, actually. Yeah, so it was already uh, it was already there. It's just uh, public health took over, and then basically everyone stayed home. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. At, at that at that point, it was all potential and what could it be? But there's a risk, and then uh, you know it would cast a shadow over the industry. We had no idea it would be a full eclipse of the sun. But this this too shall pass. The medical miracle of the vaccines is here. Exactly. The industry will rise again. I mean, listen, I asked my wife to marry me in a restaurant. So there's a very you know restaurants are are you know just a big part of our lives. So we look forward again to to joining you. The three of us, perhaps, over a, a nice glass of, uh, of wine or whatever. So, Todd, thanks so much for being on uh, being on the Food Professor podcast. Great speaking with you, and, and thanks for taking the time in, in what is no doubt a busy uh, week for you to, uh, to join us. My pleasure. Thanks so much for thanks, having me. Thanks, Todd. All right. Well, that was a great interview. I mean, I, what yeah. I thought interesting with Todd was this transition, and I've been part of the transition as well, from being an industry expert to being an advocate. And I think... Uh, you know, he's brought that industry, deep industry perspective, but they've got their work cut out for them. They've got oh. a, you know, uh, they've got a cha- They've got a, I like their new campaign, you know, imagine a world without restaurants. And I liked his idea about getting government, you know, let's stop putting money into getting people to stop going to restaurants and let's focus on when things are back into normal, getting people into restaurants. I thought that was, uh, I thought that was the right direction. What, what, what did you think? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's really about this uh, risk society we're all in now. It's, it's about like I, like we talked about uh, fear, managing fears. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think this is the new reality is that uh, we, we know this is not going to go away anytime soon. The virus or variants or anything really will stick around for a while, whether we have a vaccine for whatever menace is out there or not it really uh, is a matter of how you support people how you um, create an experience for them that's that's the business of restaurants right is to recreate an experience or else why would you why would you go out in the first place and so uh, i think i was impressed by todd's awareness uh, i mean he did accept the job in the middle of a pandemic so he's, he's certainly a man up for a challenge. That's for sure. I and mean. he's well equipped to deal with this issue. I mean, he's got the experience. Uh, he, uh, he he grew up professionally in a, one of the best organizations in the business, and yeah. so he understands supply chain management as well, which is really key nowadays. So yeah, no, absolutely. I think he understands the big picture, and he understands the messaging and what's what needs to happen uh, moving forward. I have one issue. I want to ask you about that is baffling me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what's going on in India 
with their farmers. So there is this big protest. There's been protests here at the consulate in Toronto. I see it. I've heard it's the biggest mass protest around farmers in the world. Of course, everything in India with a billion people. Something about changing how the government buys or that it's going to be privatized from farmers. Any any insight there you could share with us about help us give us a bit of context? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I feel for farmers in India because change, um, change always happens of course but in india of course they, they, they're they're going through their their sort of green revolution they're looking at making uh, their uh, agriculture much more efficient uh, it is a food security issue but it's also it's all, also has become an economic issue how do you achieve growth with agriculture over time and how do you become more food uh, autonomous, essentially, like China did. Uh, I mean, China the last 30 years, they've, they've done a phenomenal job uh, becoming more food autonomous uh, with, with pork and, and everything else. They, they grow everything in China now. It's just incredible. And so that's, that's what's going on. So you got the small farms uh, not seeing themselves in what's, what's coming. Essentially, and and a lot of these peoples, uh, it's their peoples, it's, it's their livelihood, it's their life, and so and that's why they're fighting back. And so, India is a complicated country, to I mean, say many, the least. Many it, dialects. A lot of people just can't speak. They can't. Uh, I mean, there's so many challenges, socioeconomic challenges in India. Well, yeah, and uh, and it's complicated. So it's it's uh, so I yeah I I think this is something that uh, will need to get resolved at at some point. Uh, I mean, in 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 agri food, it's 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 always it's always about balance, and uh, and sometimes when you have a change in regime, you're looking at focusing on one model versus the other. Uh, in Canada, I think we we have a pretty good balance overall. It's actually not too bad and so we're we're doing okay but in places like india challenges are immense i mean you're you have a, over a billion people within the next 20 years india is likely to have the largest population in the world while running a democracy and so that's going to be there's lots going on there for sure let me put a bookmarker in that and let's revisit that because i think there's lots to to watch and lots to learn in a, in a complex society oh, absolutely. But, uh, uh, but for now, I could talk about a bunch of other things. I want to talk about bananas next episode because it's driving me bananas. This whole every every now and then somebody says bananas <laughs> are going extinct. It drives me bananas because it never seems to happen. But I coffee, think cocoa, bananas. Every now and then, someone yeah, 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 someone actually says well, this. It's going to go instinct, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, I got a freezer full of bananas now, so I exactly I, I, I kind of result of that. But listen, for now, uh, let's wrap up this episode. Thanks again to the folks at Omnovus for being our sponsor if you like what you heard uh, please subscribe to apple itunes spotify your favorite podcast platform please rate and review be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the food service grocery or restaurant industry i'm michael leblanc host of the voice of retail podcast bunch of other stuff and i'm sylvain chalabois and i will not see you at the restaurants canada show but no. i will be watching <clears throat> i will be watching you will yes. be there and and uh, we'll wait to the time when we're together again so uh, sylvain until then be safe and and have a great week you too bye-bye